0: If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. When Dylan was younger, I took him to a Saints game, and we got to sit in the uh, box seat area, so I fe- felt fancy. And there was this guy sitting next to us, and there was an empty seat next to his, next to him. And I said, well, who, who are you with? And he said, well, no one. My wife just passed away. I said, I'm so sorry. Um... You know, I didn't ask what happened or anything. It just felt awkward for a second. And then I asked him, well, I mean, did you not have another family member that was going to come or another friend or whatever? And he, he looked at me and he just said, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> That's not a true story. Don't think I'm a bad person. Sometimes we can get a little messed up in our perspective, though. We can get sideways when we're thinking about what's really important in life, can't we? I'm supposed to be going this way. I kind of know it, but uh, I got a little little squirrely along the way, and now I'm going to make completely bad decisions about other things. This Dumb Things series has kind of helped me at least see that in basic, easy areas in life, it's easy for us to be way wrong. Way wrong. And one of the things that we hear, or you have probably heard in your life, is that money is the root of all evil. Who has heard that? Well, it's not. Money is an inanimate object. I used to flip houses, and we were going downtown to the courthouse steps to buy them one day, and there was this guy who was a friend, and he was talking about the very thing that someone at his church had told him, that the that money was the root of all evil. And we got to discuss for a minute that, no, I believe it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's a heart issue. Jesus never said that something outside you, your wife, makes you a bad person. He always said that it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. It's what's already in here that makes me, so it's my, my allegiances that could defile me. That if I get this idea that in life success looks like this, I have to achieve this to be successful in the world standards or whatever, then I have to reach this plateau in order to be successful and then I will do whatever it co- takes to get there. Well, we can be completely out of God's will and be here. There are people that have lots of money that don't know God. There are people that have lots of money that do and that are Christians and good Christians following in their faith. So what we want to talk today about is a practical application of where does your heart lie in that process? Where does your heart lie And where does my heart lie? Because God didn't create all of us evenly. Before we read this passage, I want to look at a tendency that you'll see of two extremes in our view of money. Money is the answer to everything. It's the cause of 80% of divorces. I've seen some of those stats. And probably even higher, money has something to do with it. So if I just had money, my marriage would be better. If I just had money, my life would be better. If I just had money, blank, blank, blank. I heard over and over and over again that you got to have money to make money. Not true. But money is not God. And if you just have money, then... That is treating your heart like money is God. Other extreme money is evil. Money does not have any moral, moral value. They were doing well, then they got money. They won the lottery, and then their life fell apart, right? His business took off, then they were bad. Money is morally neutral, but we are not. Money is not a savior, but it's also not a devil. So as an inanimate object, I want to invite you to stand as we read 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to read verses 6 through 10. Just because this is the foundation, his word is the foundation, and often in Scripture they would stand in honor just because of the value of Scripture on the hearts of the people that were listening. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You may be seated. Paul has been addressing false teachers in the Ephesian church and he was frustrated because some of them were literally spreading You've got. they were doing godliness, quote unquote godliness as a way to make money. They were False teaching, building a following, motivated by greed. I, I heard a real estate broker one time tell me in our office as we did a deal, it was a land deal at a church, and he said before the pastor came in with his group that that's the business I ought to be in. That's a scary place to be. And I knew what he was saying, but I also didn't agree with him. But people do look at it that way, don't they? People look down on, oh, they're hypocrites. They talk about money, but then they take it all, and then they're trying. That is evil. It would be evil if we were just trying to get everybody's money and then run off into the sunset with it. But who do they most of the time go to? It's somebody who doesn't have any in the first place, trying to take advantage of people. So as we look at this passage, I think there are warnings that we can look at. Don't love money. Be content with Christ, all that stuff. But there's a better way to live. I think, number one, we've got to just recognize what the problem is. When you rehash your own life, and you can think about where you are in this, think of these examples in Old and New Testament of people that had money and there was nothing wrong with them. Number one. Abraham. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Father of the Israelites, obedient, even gave his only son. Perfect picture of the gospel. Job had much before tragic circumstances, and God restored him even more than he had to start with. God's not against money. Joseph became wealthy in Egypt. David. He gained obvious wealth as king. He was a man after God's own heart at the same time. How could that be when Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell everything because Jesus was talking to a man whose allegiance was to money. David's allegiance was to God. Money was an inanimate object to David. Solomon, the richest man probably that ever walked this planet, David's son, Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus was buried in his tomb. Lydia, dealer in goods, hosted the church in her home. God uses these things for his glory and his purposes. Having money isn't the issue. Wealth is not the issue. The problem says that it's the love of money and it's a heart issue. For where your treasure is, Matthew 6.31 says, there your heart will be also. So if we recognize that, if we are aware of that, we can constantly look and go, where am I? I'm okay. I just need to reset and be right with God myself. He uses, in verse 9 and 10, desire and cravings. These are internal things that come out of us, our desire why do we not want to be successful at what we do, right? Why would you not want to build your business better? You do, but not at the expense of your soul. What if that's God, not God's will for your life? Our hearts are meant to belong to God, not to our business, right? He wants to use you, and he's given you the desires of your heart if you are a child of God. But when we don't love God with all of our hearts, something tends to fill that void within us. Most people, the Bible says, are not going to heaven. Most people are just trying to make it through with all the resources they have, making sense out of what life gives them. So it's very easy for the enemy to go, there's a void in that guy. There's a void there that, needs to be filled that God wants to fill in you and in me And money seems to be the easiest thing in our culture today to fill that void I need this, I need that Matthew 6 24 says no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money Love of money is the problem. So the question is, what drives your decisions? How do you make decisions? Do you let go of certain things so that you can gain other certain things? Is it a manipulation tactic? Does it shape and inform? Does the Bible shape and transform your decision-making process. I made a horrible decision years ago and blamed it on Scripture when we were selling a house that we had no business selling. I suffered from pangs. Ashley didn't feel comfortable at the same time. We didn't lose anything big, but I knew that it was wrong after using Scripture during to help me make a decision because I was more driven by the prophet that I thought was on the other end of it. So I'd go back, and she's in tears, saying, I don't think this is the right thing. And I said, well, just pray about it. And within no time, I mean, part of, part of my expectations for making this decision was confirmation, right? If it's God's confirmation, well, he's going to sell it. Not always true. Sometimes he'll give you exactly what you want, but it's less than he wants you to have. To this day, I regret making that decision. 18 years go by and you regret making decisions that regarded money, but I heard from God and twisted the answer. It's painful because you think it's always going to work out this way and the end result. Isn't God's best for you? When we are aware that there's some danger involved and that might be more serious and that your heart is at stake, pay more attention that God does have you in his hands, that it is going to be okay. Be aware of the danger. Verse 9 and 10 again say, But those who desire to be rich... Fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at the words. There's several words in here. Ruin. Destruction. That's these are dangerous words that we're looking at. Wandered away. Pangs. I have these circled in my Bible. Where do these things come from? Our desires. What Jesus was saying, what I mentioned earlier, is that the lusts of the, the things that come out of us or the things that defile us, they always lead. To pain. If I desire God, is he going to give me pain? He's going to give me peace in spite of my circumstances at the very worst. He's not going to wish harm on me. He's going to use these circumstances for his glory and his gain to bear fruit in his kingdom. We forget that, so we go to ruin destruction and have to rebuild something that We tore apart that didn't have to be destroyed in the first place. Those who desire, because I desire to be rich, I fall into a temptation. In other words, a trap. Think of it as a gateway desire, almost like a gateway drug. It's appealing. It doesn't seem bad. There's nothing wrong with this. I work hard. I ought to get the results from my labor. But you've heard of the phrase drowning in debt, for instance. I can work hard, shouldn't I deserve this car? So we're working backwards by getting in debt before we start. That's not a good thing ever. The borrower's slave to the lender, right? When we baptize someone, immersion is the word used for baptism. It's drowning in Christ's grace and mercy. Paul says, you were buried. It's a picture of Jesus dying and we dying with him, he says in Romans 6. He says, you are buried with him, raised to walk in newness of life. What happens when we are buried up to our eyeballs in debt, there's nowhere to walk. We're drowning like the rest of the world. We're drowning because of the desires that we placed over ourselves so we don't have anywhere to go. The very freedom that we should have in Christ isn't there because we are buried because our sin led us somewhere else. That happens to good, well-intending Christians all day long. I'd rather be staying baptized with his love and mercy. This always leads to more problems, not less problems, when you are up to your eyeballs in debt. What is the root? It feeds the fruit. A root of a plant, when it dies, the plant dies, correct? So how do you keep a plant alive? You don't pour the water on top of the leaves. You pour the water at the base. The, the nutrients go into the root so that the plant bears the fruit. A root system are how the plant gets what it needs to survive, So when Paul calls this a root of all kinds of evil, he's saying that this feeds other kinds of evil. You ever watch mob shows? Well, when we're out to make our business grow, it doesn't matter what we're going to sell anymore, and it doesn't matter if we lie, cheat, and steal to get it. Tax evasion and all the other things are a natural progression. It's a slippery slope that when we enter this arena... That I have to succeed at all costs, we pay all costs. We don't need to pay all costs when we realize that it's a real root system. If you love money, if you crave money, if you desire to be rich, greed will drive you and you'll never get enough. We wander away from the faith. We might stop attending church. We compromise our values. We get out of practicing faith thinking, "Wow, this is only a season. I don't have to work all the time on Sundays. We buy more, have more, to retire with more. And then we have what we think all we need to coast out. And Jesus says, you've put all this grain in your barns, but you fool, tomorrow will be taken from you. When we work for the temporal, even when we think it's longer, we don't get to enjoy it as much as we think when we get there, do we? As a little boy, I could not wait for Christmas morning. Christmas Eve was the best day of the year, and Christmas night was the worst night of the year, all in one day. Because if your mind is caught up on what I can get, you got nothing to give. And you're just sitting there going, well, i got all this junk, and two weeks from now, half of it's going to be broken, and I'm not going to remember how to play with it. I'm not even going to remember what I received. When we put our relationship with Christ on hold year after year after year, and then we have our retirement, and then we go into it. I've seen people die miserable with plenty of money in the bank. You hear story after story about 10, 000, or thousands and thousands of dollars in people's socks or safes in their house that they didn't trust people with, and they still are dead. Their 401K did not transfer to heaven. It did not roll over. You... You don't have the jet ski behind the hearse. You don't take it with you, but we live like we do. Matthew 13, says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. The seed fall, that falls among the thorns refers to someone who hears, but the worries of the life choke it out. If you had the word, this person didn't have it in the first place. For you to deny it and not bear fruit means you were so focused on the weeds. There's no room for the word. There has to be room for the word in your life. When you wake up in the morning, are you starving to fix something or are you starving to let him speak to you? When you go to bed at night, did he speak to you during the day so much so that you are grateful that what he said refreshed your soul enough to say, I didn't have any danger today, no matter what happened today? Godliness with contentment is great gain. The trouble is, we didn't avoid the danger because we, did, we were hungry for the wrong fruit the void within us was filled the wrong way, and we were stuck in the thorns. Idols don't save. Jesus does. If Jesus is our Lord, he saved us. He's not money or an idol should occupy the throne of our hearts. He, not money, should occupy the throne of our hearts. This is what we do when we get up in the morning. You will never be truly satisfied Unless you are content, Paul sets up the love of money, the craving, the desire as the opposite, the exact opposite of being satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never have enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I talked to a good friend who's a financial advisor who quotes people all the time. And most of the people he talks to that have millions and millions and millions, they don't have the same issues that blue-collar workers have or even many white-collar. We're talking about all of these people. Or millionaires and some billionaires. And they say, by and large, they are some of the most unhappy, discontented people on the planet because they have so much to worry about. They wake up worrying. They spend the day worrying. They go to bed worrying. I, I thought I had problems worrying. Thinking about things that were not good. The more you get sometimes is not always the best thing to have. God will give you all you need for life and godliness. He says so in his word. The question is, where am I today? Am I content with such things as I have? You don't have to be wealthy to love money. This sin is no respecter of income. Right? So I... Whether I got a billion dollars or not can be just like a guy who has a billion dollars. I can worry about everything just like everybody else. The sin is that dominates the middle class is to f- refuse to acknowledge the wealth that we do have. Because we in America are wealthier than most people in this country, in this world. If we live for money, making our life about getting more stuff... We're not going to be content. We're not going to be happy. So ask yourself, am I? What am I happy with? This is why Jesus said, be thankful in all circumstances. Pray about everything. Be thankful for everything. Finally, we need to pursue a better way. How do you do that? But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. The false preachers and teachers that Paul was talking about, they they were working for the gospel or whatever for a means of gain. It was a job. There was constant friction among the people who were depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godless godliness was a means of great gain it's easy to go why am i doing all these things the most important thing i could be doing is working for god but i'm getting nothing good out of it i'm getting hammered by these issues and those issues well what can we get we've got to i ought to be paid just as well as them you got off track guys They were using it as a way to make money, though. These guys were deliberately saying, you know what? They're bringing all this in, and they're taking care of widows and orphans. So people from the outside who weren't even believers going, let's come in and take advantage of this. So their gospel was literally, yeah, we know it, but it's shallow. Give us money. Great gain. We need to pursue our satisfaction in Christ alone because he will provide according to his riches and glory. Keep your life free from the love of money, Hebrews thirteen five says. This was the verse that I sold our house with. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How could I turn that around? How could I say, see, be content with what you have as, hey, be happy, it's a great house. You should be willing to get rid of it. I'll tell you how, because my mind was already in the future on other things. If our life was free from the love of money, I would have been content, and then I would have just dropped the whole thing when I read this verse, which I saw afterwards, after the pangs that I suffered. When we are discontent, it's a sign our eyes are just simply off Christ. Second thing, we need to pursue God in stewardship for his glory. We need to pursue good stewardship because that's exactly what we are. As for the rich in this present age, in verse 17, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertain of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The affluent, the wealthy, everybody here is rich to someone. Everybody in this room is rich to someone. So what were Paul's instructions here for being a good steward? Number one, just be humble. Walk in humility with what you have. God's given you all you need, then that's all you need. You don't need more. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. There's a tendency for us to accomplish and to puff, puff our chest out when we've succeeded, right? Look at my house. It's bigger than your house. I mean, it's be thankful, not boastful. That's what we should do. Develop proper perspective on money. There are three little sayings that we should hide in our hearts when we want to stay healthy with money. My hope is not in money, but it's in God, is one. He owns it all. I don't own anything. Everything that I have is because He decided that I could have it. My hope is in God and not money. I'm a steward, not an owner. He richly provides everything, and the Bible says, I belong to him. I am not the owner of any cows on his hill. I don't own the house that I live in. I don't own my kids. I don't own business. I don't own anything. He owns me and trusts me with all of it. My home is in heaven, not on earth. We spend all of our lives with a trust that's going to go somewhere here while I'm not. You want to be responsible and non-believers. We're worse than non-believers if we don't take care of our kids. That's what the Bible says, right? So it doesn't say be irresponsible, but it doesn't say live for the day as well because I have seen people inherit trusts blow it in five years because their parents spent more time making the trust than they did earning trust. They spent more time making the trust and making sure their kids were taken care of financially but not spiritually. We just said it a few few weeks ago. If you raise your kids well you'll get to spoil your grandkids. But if you don't, you're going to raise your grandkids. In this day and age, we see more people with more money raising grandkids because kids didn't experience the love, but they got the money. My home is in heaven. Then my kids' home should be too. Then our neighbors' homes should be too. Our families and our friends and everyone we know's home should be too. And that ought to be my focus so that the resources I have are simply a means to an end, his end. So everything involves prayer and supplication. Everything involves not being proud and being thankful. Everything involves generosity and giving. Every decision, not in getting, but in giving. Practice good works and generosity. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, in verse 18. We're given that we might give. It speaks of a posture of generosity, that good stewards will be humble, have a proper perspective on money, and they will be generous to do good things. The trouble is, I want to go on vacation. I want to buy a new truck. I want to buy a new surfboard. I need a new boat. Nothing wrong with those things unless they own you and they own me. So which way are we living? Which way are we pursuing? Are we content with such things as we have? I'm going to ask that Josiah and the band come back up. Now, it's a simple message, and most of you already knew it tonight before you even got here. But I knew it when I made a bad decision about selling a house. I knew it about making bad decisions about buying more. And I knew it when I was talking to my father as he was self-medicating himself to deal with the pangs that he suffered with before he took his life. Money is not the root of all evil. But our affiliations and the void in our heart is. If you have a void in your heart that's not filled with Jesus Christ and his love, something else is going to fill it. Satan's going to be sure of that. It doesn't have to be money. Some of you may be thinking money is not all that great and I never had this problem in the first place. But you got something else that you think is important. It's an affiliation with something that puts God here and that here. And God wants to take it and lower it. It's an idol. If anything in your life is an idol, it could be your kids, it could be your it could be your family, it could be your business, it could whatever it is. Just subvert them in your heart. Just say, Lord, Yes, Lord, I am yours. And this also should be yours. And I have trusted me more than I have trusted you with this. If we don't learn to do that with the very affections that we have, you have a drive. And God made you with that drive. And he says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So he made you to want to engineer things and build things. And he made you to want to sell things. Right? desires of your heart will change because he will change the desires of the aims of your heart. You're going to be aimed at him selling things and generously giving. You won't have to figure everything out because you're going to be content in the in the area that you're in, not trying to get out knowing that this is terrible where I am, when that might be the assignment that God has you in in the first place. God wants me to use you use me this way no not necessarily he wants to use you where you are at all times 100% of your life needs to be dedicated to surrendering to the God of the universe where you are then he will give you the desires of your heart because he will change if you don't know Christ it's simple he says pray about everything and if you acknowledge me before men I'll acknowledge you before my father who's in heaven that's what Jesus said he said that when you confess me in your heart when nobody's looking that's when I'm going to bless your business that's when I'm going to do things that that you think are impossible to do that's when I'm going to do the miracle that you think couldn't happen in my life I can break free from bonds of chains that I've had because he now fills the void. And when I believe that and hear and confess it with my mouth, Jesus said what comes out of here is what defiles a man. There's nothing to defile you anymore. When he replaces what's in there with his Holy Spirit, You will not defile anymore. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Right? We try and do all those things and fill in the blanks and check the boxes, be good Christians, and then we go fix our own problems. And he says, you missed it. You missed the whole thing. I want to. Quote, unquote, David, I got your problem. got you, I got your family, I got everybody that you love I just need your heart on a walking around practical day to day basis tonight is just a night to give him your